The Family with Tom Bernard and... Catherine Brandt. Ellie Nick. Alex Brandt, Bernard Rasmussen. Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. <laughs> Why do we let these two hunyucks into our family? Oh, yeah. Ellie <laughs> Nick and Cassie. What I'm the hell are we thinking? Bumper music. What are we... <laughs> I was finding what? bumper music. We'll be right back. Kick things off hour two. A couple of great guests coming up. We'll be right back. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. I love this song. One of my favorite songs in the world, Glenn Campbell. That's pretty good, Tom. I was a singer for about eight years. That was, I'm surprised. That was pretty good. Take five. Take five. Um, that was the name of the band. Yes. And Lori is the name of our guest. Lori should not take five. Lori LeBay. I want to ask before we talk to Lori, has anybody, because our family has not um, uh, dealt with Alzheimer's. I don't think Catherine on your side or mine. Well, my Uncle Al was in a... Well, he was 97 He had something called Sundowners. Sundowners, yeah. Yeah, which is Sundowners. Um, but, but it... L.A. Nick or Cassie, have you ever dealt with Alzheimer's in your family? I no. have, I have not in my family, but I've dealt with Polly's mom, and I spent a lot of days with oh, Mitzi, right. yeah. and she had Lou Gehrig's, which is Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she'd be fine when she, I'd be, I'd just go to her house about eight or nine in the morning, and she'd be fine until about eleven thirty twelve, and then whatever she saw on the news that morning was reality in her backyard. That's what Sundowners about 1 is. About one o'clock. So she'd be yep. asking me, why is your soldiers yep. in my yard? And it was tough. And she would, you don't know what to say. You don't know. And then people get very paranoid and think people are stealing stuff out of their house yep. and weird yeah. stuff. Like my, my chicken was, was in the refrigerator. Now it's gone. Who took it? Yeah. Like it's tough. Right. To, very hard to deal with. Lori LeBay, our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. Alzheimer's Speaks. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Lori LeBay is the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Lori, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. Um, one of the things I love about doing the show is talking about things like this. And, you know, 
uh, things that affect people's families, because that's, to me, and am I wrong about this, Lori, that the effect on the family, I really, it, it's got to be difficult. I've never dealt with it uh, with, with any of my family members, but to have someone who eventually doesn't even know who you are, it's got to be very, very difficult, I would imagine. It's very tough on the families. My mom lived with it for 30 years, and we didn't have a clue what to do or where to go. And, and you know, people think that this is an old person's disease, but we're seeing younger people getting diagnosed all the time, 40s, 50s, 30s, and even children now. Really? So we've got really? to pay it. Yeah, we've got, we've got to pay attention, and we have to work together as a community because we don't have enough resources. You know, there's no cure. They're not even sure of the cause. And there is life with dementia. You can you can still have a really good life, but we've been we've been sold kind of a, a bag of goods that you know life is horrible and it's it's dreadful. You know, and that's how they raise money. But there oh, there is yeah, a lot yeah. of good that can come from learning to adjust um, to life's adversities, no matter what afflicts you. Yeah, I could see that, and that, I think that's a great attitude that, that you have, and I assume the rest of your family had uh, over a 30-year period. But I, I just, uh, I, when I was a kid, I had never heard of Alzheimer's, uh, and, and when, when was that? I don't remember what it was called when somebody just, you know, all of a sudden didn't know who you were. Like, you'd go to a friend's house, and their grandpa wouldn't even know you, and he's known you his whole life. And I don't remember what they even called it. Just old I age, I think. Just called it was it. always called dementia, wasn't it? Yeah, it dementia. Yeah, yeah. I guess it probably was dementia. Well, back in the day, they used to call it senile. Oh yeah, you know? senile. And, senile. Yeah. and there really there was. There it is. Yep. There, there really go, was no senile. explanation. Um, I remember when right. my great aunt had it, and my mom said, "That's just what happens when you get old." That was that was the extent of, of yeah. you know, the definition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And that was really frustrating. At, at 13, I remember when she didn't remember my name, and I was really close to my great aunt. And she remembered oh. my brother, who really could care less about her. You know, he was <laughs> there for the ride because my mom made him come. And then and my right. mom, and I was devastated. I thought, how could she remember him and not me? And, and for two weeks, I yep. sobbed, thinking, what did I do wrong? Why doesn't she love me? And, you know, oh. you really learn to, to understand the, the pain, <clears throat> and we take it so personally, but there's this, there's this great gift wrapped in all this pain that can teach us that we are all much more than a name, and that our connections are so vastly deep, and that we never forget, but a person with dementia just might not be able to pull out the words, but they're giving us other signs through their nonverbals which in this fast-paced world, we just dip on by and don't even notice. So it, it forces us to slow down and, and be more present. And the, the littler things in life um, you really cherish. What kind of signs are you talking about? Well, just, um, you know, as, as my mom progressed with the disease, she, she couldn't use her words. And so you'd look for the glint in the eye. You'd look for, you know, if music was playing, maybe her hands and her toes would just start tapping. Um, or okay. she'd get um, just a subtle smile or reach for your hand. It, it's very small, subtle signs that, are, that it's easy to, to overlook because, you know, you look at the person and, and many times their physical appearance changes. Um, for example, I, I'll never forget this one time we did a, we did a music um, a music therapist came in and played for my mom and a friend video recorded it and I was so excited to share this DVD with with my mom's friend who hadn't gone to see her for 10 years because it was too painful she couldn't she couldn't go see her so I, we're at this restaurant and this woman who's 76 years old screams out in the restaurant oh my god she looks horrible because she didn't look oh. like my mom anymore my, oh my, my mom my mom Oh. My mom was always, you know, dressed to the nines, and, and you know, I started giggling, which, of course, didn't go over well, and then I, I said thank you to her, and she's like, thank you, Lori, and she's screaming in the restaurant, I thought you were taking better care of your mom, look at her, look at her, and I oh, just said, so hey, much. thank you. I, I, didn't, I didn't know until that moment in time, I don't see what she sees anymore. Yeah. I don't see. Right. I don't see that her hair is not perfect. I don't see that her chip, her teeth are are broken and chipped. I don't see a billy goat hair on her chin. I see the glint in her eyes. I see the dimples. I see the smile. And when I look at that picture, it to me she is filled with joy. 
And so yeah, we mom, have to teach your, your people mom. to look for different things. I see. Your mom's probably really happy you told us about the goat hair on your chin. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was thinking the same thing when she said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have those. I, have, I get them really? too, and I got to pluck them off. We all do for audits. You know, it's nothing to be ashamed about. You know, it's just life. Life's a big city. Now, Lori, <laughs> with dementia, with Alzheimer's, is there sadness? Is there anger? Is there a mix of all these things? Is just sure. extreme emotion? Is that what we're talking about? And, and forgetfulness? And I, I would imagine if, you know, if I kept forgetting things, it would make me very angry. Uh, is that natural? It's very natural. And, and it gets confused when they go to the doctor. A lot of times people are diagnosed with depression. You know, and because they become withdrawn, because they don't want to make a mistake in front of people. Um, Maybe they're not as comfortable driving or going out at night because they have spatial issues. So um, colors and shadows can become really big issues. People think Mm -hmm. it's all memory, and memory is part of it, but it can be executive function. Like, like, Tom, for you, you've done this show all your life, and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you know, if you had dementia, now you don't know the steps in order to do your oh, show. Oh, God. And it's something, yeah, that would not be good. You know, yep. And so it's things like that. It's planning, knowing that you're going to the doctor, but you have no idea what day or what time. And then they get this angst because they don't want to forget. And so then they're asking us all the time, and then, then we get short because we don't know how to deal with it. And we take it personally and think they're pushing our buttons because as humans, we always make it about ourselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so what we, what we have to be careful about is to, is to realize that this is a disease and, you know, the brain is, you know, it's, it's losing its spark and its functions. And that to them, they are still following a logical path, but their pathways are different than ours. And so it's mm-hmm. our job now to really kind of put on our investigative hat and figure out what is triggering a behavior because a behavior you know but nobody likes to be told that they've got a behavior because that's usually not a good thing we usually don't you know clap our hands and go what a great behavior that was it's usually get in the corner you know and and we're putting somebody (laughs) down and so we so we so we really have to look at those behaviors those things that we don't like those reactions are signals to us that something's wrong that they're not comfortable with something and, you know, it can be really a simple thing from maybe they're too hot or too cold. Maybe they're hungry or thirsty or have to go to the bathroom. Maybe they're not comfortable in their environment because it's too loud. Noises um, get really difficult. Like, I know I'm going to be 60 here shortly, and, and I can, you know, I get frustrated with background noise now, which I never understood when my parents talked about that. But imagine your whole day being filled with that kind of background noise. And you're trying to sort out conversations and and how exhausting that would be to have to live your life trying to filter things out. Now, Lori, I have to ask you one question very quickly, Catherine. I'll get out of your way. Businesses, communities, and individuals need to become dementia-friendly. What's that all about? Oh, it's so exciting. In 2013, we opened the first or launched first dementia-friendly community in Watertown, Wisconsin, and people said it couldn't be done, yet they've been doing it in other countries all over. So now in Minnesota here, we have Act on Alzheimer's, which is now um, feathered into dementia-friendly America. Plus, there's a lot of um, local groups, like uh, Roseville, Minnesota, where I'm at. We have a grassroots group. And people are getting together, and they're putting on educational presentations. And, and we're just making these huge strides. Um, you know, right now we're working on... Um, we're working with um, the MSP airport in terms of trying to make that dementia friendly, and we're working with a, a national or an international committee to do that. And, it, you know, it can be really simple little things. You know, part of it is just not judging and learning to accept. The libraries are coming on board and putting packets together with information that is resourceful and will educate people, but they'll give them something to engage with somebody with dementia um, there, it, it's just, it's absolutely fabulous. There's no end to what can be done. There are choirs where people with dementia are singing, like the Giving Voice Choir is here in Minnesota. Um, there's art projects. It's, um, people are really seeing that there is life with dementia and that these people have to be included in our community because they are all over. Many of them are still driving. You know, it, it strikes me when you're talking about, um, 
people becoming overwhelmed with things, it, it sort of reminds me of having a baby that can't handle things. You know, it's like you just protect them mm-hmm. from, like, if you have a baby that's very, very sensitive to lights or sounds or whatever, you just don't take them to those kinds of places. But as an adult, you, you just think everybody can do everything on their own and that they should be able to deal with it. And it just, it's like a responsibility as a caretaker, I'm guessing, to just make sure that you don't put people in situations where they're uncomfortable. That's a perfect, perfect way to say that. And, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, when it, when it's a child, we don't think twice about doing it. But when it's an adult, we, we think, well, no, you should do that. And this is a, many times an invisible disease. And so somebody might look perfectly normal, whatever that is, and they can carry on a conversation for maybe a short period of time and, and do an activity. But then they hit their wall. And it's just too much. Um, many will wear um, headsets that are uh, sound deafening, like if they go shopping or if they're at the mm. airport, um, any, any large areas, because their senses, um, what they tell me, their, their sense of color and sound have heightened, you know, kind of take over for some other um, abilities that they've lost for many. And, and again, it's up to us to look and really be able to decide what's working. Like for Christmas and holidays, we hold on to our traditions, but these big functions might not be good for a person with dementia. So having smaller gatherings will be healthier for, for everybody. So, Lori, how do people uh, get the information? You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com, I'm assuming. Uh, can they also reach out and ask questions at that website? Uh, yeah, they can shoot me an email. They can they can call. They can join me on the radio show and call in with questions. I'm, I'm very accessible. I I just feel it's so important for us to have have the conversation, and um, everyone's voice needs to be heard because there's a saying in the in the dementia land and dementia world that when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. No two parties are alike, and then that expands mm-hmm. to all the care partners that are taking care of them. And every environment they're in, and so we need to we need to openly talk about this because we can't we can't shift our care culture if we don't have a conversation and if we're not inclusive of all. Right. Lori, how do you uh, how do people tune into Alzheimer Speaks Radio? What's the dial position? They can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and they'll see the radio show right there, and they can click on that. That's probably the oh, easiest. Excellent. I'm on uh, blog, blog talk radio. Um, but yeah, we've got over 500 and I think 50 shows, um, and I interview people all over the world in all different positions. So people who are living with a diagnosis, families, business professionals, we've had Harvard research on, we've had, um, movie directors and singers and songwriters and authors and advocates, you name it. It, it takes us all to really make a difference. And it's been just amazing to talk to everyone around the world and what they're doing. Yeah, that does make sense. Lori LeBay, AlzheimerSpeaks.com, Alzheimer Speaks Radio, and Dementia Chats. Lori, come back. We'll talk more about this because I think uh, people need to learn a lot more about this, and we do need to all become much more friendly to people who might not, uh, you know, even know us anymore. I appreciate the, the time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate all you do, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Rhodes. Very kind of you. We'll be back. With the family. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K.
If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Your true colors. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> time after time, too. wrong song. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's close, oh, though. It's very, close. Very yeah, similar. Close, yeah. It's very close. I always, I always confuse those two songs. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom, I was just telling Alex and Andy and that Alzheimer's, you know, if you, if you say, God forbid, but you got Alzheimer's right now, you, you could mm-hmm. live another 25, 30 years with Alzheimer's and drain yep. every the whole family oh, yeah. financially because the care to yep. care for somebody that has full blown Alzheimer's in a care facility is so expensive that it, it'll take all your money, and that's the difference. Yeah. Somebody that has cancer, they're going to die in you know five, six, seven years. But somebody with Alzheimer's, they can live for thirty years. Mm-hmm. A oh. friend of mine, her mother was had had Alzheimer's for quite some time, and it was really a difficult thing just dealing with the family members trying to help her mother yeah i mean everybody was like trying to take credit for this and blaming that person for that and it just turns into such a i guess it's worth conversations in every family how to handle that kind of stuff and the full-time the full-time care facilities are so expensive it's crazy money yeah Yep. Yeah, my yeah. uncle Al went into a memory care facility, even though he didn't have full-blown. Well, every once in a while, he was like, he'd say, so how do you like this building that we're in? And I'd say, oh, it's really beautiful, Uncle Al. And he'd say, well, it should be. I built it. <laughs> oh, there and I'd you be go. Like, hmm, did you know? Oh, did you? <laughs> well, <laughs> and, we're in the IDF. Yeah, what are you yeah about? and then he, <laughs> he would just say, he would just, and then every once in a while, he'd be just absolutely fine. He, yep. I mean, he loved guy. to talk about the farm he grew up on. You know, all those old memories were just like right yeah. there. He and he I could, got along really yeah, well. Yeah, and he, he knew his jokes. He had a great sense yep. of humor. He loved yep. his jokes. But then all of a sudden, he'd, he'd be, I can't wait to die. Oh, don't say that, Uncle Al. Why? Because I can't even stand up and hold my own pecker to pee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. okay thank you. How do Al. I respond to this? Ninety-seven years old. I don't know what to say. Uh, just got a text from I know her as Pain in the Ass, but Catherine knows her as Katie Harms. Hey guys, I graduated high school with Lori LeBay. She is a great person. Of course, Katie Harms graduated with Lori. She never graduated. <laughs> Katie Let's Harms knows everybody went to school with everybody. Some yeah, people just amazing. seem to know everyone. Yeah. Like Nick yeah. is yeah, one, of those she's people. one of those people. It's like you know everyone yeah. on earth. Or Lane Christensen. Like, yeah, it's like how does it's just yeah. Yeah, Lane too, how does yeah. this happen? Well for me it was super it was, social people. It was hanging out every single night, every day, just going out. Yeah, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that for 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. you get to know a lot of people. That's Which true. Which sounds like a fresh hell to people like Andy, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, so, it sounds like it's, it is hell to me now. I don't go out at all because when I go out, I'm like, I got to go home. Yeah, isn't that funny how that works? You can just like become a completely opposite person. Oh, I did it so much, I'm just burnt out on it. Just, yeah. I can't do it no more. I will, uh, I'm going to read two paragraphs from a story because I don't understand it. Maybe you guys can uh, can straighten me out on this because I don't understand what the hell they, what they're doing. I will also say this. You can tell that this uh, John Leitster from Associated Press, but this is out of Paris. There are two words used in the in the text of this story that I don't think Americans would ever think of using anymore. Okay. Here's the first one in the first sentence. When the top-ranked bridge player tested positive for a steroid that Lance Armstrong also used to cheat at the Tour de France, it was easy to snigger. Yeah, no. they don't July. say that in America. 
Nobody says that word in America. No, no. I know what it Even means. Even though it's a real word and it doesn't mean anything other than giggle. Yeah, it just means laugh. Yeah. yeah. It just means, yeah, giggle. But the very next sentence, the guy says... It's a very British thing to say, I think, too. Very next sentence. Whereas the uh, eventual unmasking of Armstrong as a cycling swindler was ha- widely hailed as a resounding victory for sports fight against doping, critics in Bridge saw the positive drug test for Ger Helga- Helgamo as a black mark for the anti-doping system. Yeah. So he goes with black mark and snigger. Uh, I don't think that's intentional. You would never see <laughs> no. that in America. No. You would never yeah, see it in prob- America. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. No, no way. Why? So this guy got caught with steroids in his system. How would a steroid help you win at bridge? Now you can stay more alert longer, I yeah. guess. Can you? Yeah, especially so. like an well, Can you really? I yeah. Mm-hmm. A methamphetamine oh, or something steroids. like that would make you very sharp and... For a short so a period of time, just makes you stronger, right? I mean, that's no, there's different. It, there's it? different kinds of steroids. Yeah, well, oh, that's why are. they give racehorses steroids. Yeah, there's them all different kinds of steroids. There's mental yeah, steroids stronger. that can make you sharper mentally and I didn't know that. scent and eyesight better. I did not know that. Yep. I had no idea. I just was around guys who took steroids and got to be about 280 pounds of solid muscle. Yeah, there's Those muscle steroids. steroids. Yeah. But there's different kinds of steroids. Oh, yeah. Yes, there are. Yeah, it okay, depends on what, like, so this is a bridge player? You can have something to just activate mm-hmm. different parts of your brain. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's like, oh, I'm the world's greatest bridge player. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Would be my oh, response. That's cool. Oh, that's so- cool. Here's really? the weird thing, no. is that this guy <laughs> exactly. was basically just increasing his testosterone levels. Why? Which, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't know how that would help you win yeah. at bridge. I can't see you how You can it slap those cards down super hard Yeah, now. what? I've got tougher hands than you do. Okay. It's just like, yeah, th- yeah. you ever see the, the, as you guys in West Palm, they have the World Ch- Croquet Center? They, they do? do? Yes. It's the <laughs> National World know. Croquet Championship Center. It's massive. Idea. It's like a couple, like a $20 million facility. Really? Yeah. Look it up. It's in West yeah. Palm. Oh, here we go. Um, apparently, it's unrelated to the bridge. Basically, he was gaining weight, and he wanted to get that under control. So he went to his bodybuilder friend and took some pills that he didn't know what they were. What? Smart fella. I'm not buying that. Not buying that. Well, yeah. I don't care who my friend pill? is. If they gave me two pills, I'd make sure what the hell it was. Yeah. Believe me. Anytime anybody's ever gave me pills, I put them in my pocket, go home, and throw them away. <laughs> you would not believe how many <laughs> people, how often people, they'll just take something without knowing what it is. Oh, you mean like me a couple of days ago with the fish? Yeah. Minutes, well, that wasn't helpful. Yeah. No, it was not. Really that great was not very plan. smart. Well, well, I didn't know they had given yeah. me that dosage. Yeah. So you trust you know. it's one thing with pills. Once you take it, it's too late. Yeah. Like whatever oh, yeah. it is, it's in you. Oh yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. Carry Ipecac with you at all times. Just vomit all over everyone. <laughs> Although they don't idea. recommend that anymore. I don't really know why. Ipecac. Yeah, they don't. Uh, they never it's induce like vomiting anymore. I don't know why. Not even for poisons. Really? No. Really. I, I have did, on I dogs just, a few times. I just think I've read something recently that said induced vomiting. Mm. Swallowed. It's very, very. I mean, if you swallow something like a caustic substance that's gonna like eat well, through your stomach lining, then yeah, they'll have you induced vomiting. But if you like uh, no, drink poison, I, I thought it was the opposite. I thought caustic substances, if it's caustic going down, is going to be caustic going up, and it could burn a hole in your esophagus or well, something. That's also that's better than it burning a hole in your stomach, though. Because then you need like emergency surgery. I don't want any or holes dead. burned anywhere. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I I know God. What did I? Some dog of mine swallowed something he wasn't supposed to eat, and I called the. I believe I had to like force feed him salt, and that made him throw up. Carbon right? I had hydrogen put, peroxide. No, mm-hmm. you can't swallow Maybe hydrogen was, peroxide. Well, no, that makes dogs, dogs throw up. Yeah, like if they eat raisins well, or I, chocolate or something. Time, I've had dogs swallow poison multiple times, and they go, they give you literally a cock gun full of, of carbon, and you have to push that whole yep. all of it Activated down the dog's carbon. throat. It absorbs poison. Yep. For Fun. some reason, I thought it was salt. Maybe it was no salt. It's carbon. I remember. Salt f- will make you throw up if you eat a lot of it at once. 
That's a very yeah, old was... way to get yourself to throw up is just to eat a whole oh, crap load of salt. Terrible. Yeah, I'll yeah. pass on that. Well, yeah, there's a reason they don't do it anymore. I remember I used yeah. to go swimming every day in, in West Palm, and I'd get a lot of salt water in them, and it always made me sick. Yeah. Yep. Salt water is not salty. To be... Plus, who it knows not... what they're <laughs> Dumping in the ocean outside yeah. of West Palm Beach. That's true. <laughs> Could be anything. You never know there. Yeah, salt be, water it, with... Yeah, you never know. Toxic runoff makes me sick, too. Yeah, salt water and toxic, toxic runoff. runoff. Oh, it's a bad cocktail. Yeah, That'll do it. see that. Sounds do. appetizing. <laughs> mm, runoff. What is wrong with you people talking runoff in the ocean? That's not nice. Well, it's true. Oh, that's yeah. how it is. Trust no me, people. The other countries are dumping so much stuff yes. in the ocean, oh, you yeah. have no idea. Oh, yeah. No, you are absolutely right about that, including tons and tons of plastic. Yep. There is no doubt about Actually, that. Actually, there's so, some robots uh, out there collecting that right now, and somebody's getting rich off of it. Well, true. Oh, you mean uh, collecting the, the plastic? Yeah, this guy made makes yeah, millions guys, a year yeah. getting it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I, That's what I, hear. I just heard, I just read something about how all, all these, or all these, some municipalities are actually going to quit their recycling programs because they're so cost, uh, they're so costly that it, it's not helping anybody, and they really? can't. Yeah, and they end up getting so many contaminated loads of plastic that they end up having to burn, throw it away. So anyway, they're starting to burn it for energy. And we used to ship a ton of plastic to China. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they wanted it. I have no idea at what they were doing with it. And they don't want it anymore. Yeah, they, they, got got their too, own they got too much of their own. <laughs> yes, they do. They got too yeah. much of their own plastic. So I guess this whole recycling thing has got to be reworked on how it's happening. Do we ever do anything right the first time around? Of course ever. not. Well, well, they said, <laughs> they really said, they said that um, most of the time when you put your plastic cup into a recycling container at whatever whatever wherever it's not going to be recycled right oh, that's really great that's mm. just wonderful news so we're just head faking people i was just shocked but, but I was we like, gotta outlaw straws though yeah straws, really. yeah and yeah, um, I agree. and styrofoam <laughs> no more straws straws and styrofoam never use well, those and plastic bags nasty plastic yeah, bags you, you can recycle styrofoam. yeah but not a lot of people do no they don't i do i always have a little bag in my laundry room to fill and i don't i avoid using plastic yeah, bags i don't take them i take paper i don't even i get i bring reusable bags to the store but it's amazing how much plastic right. you end up like because things are wrapped in plastic bags yep. and it's yeah. just like i yeah. end up with so it, much plastic so where i live we have a recycling can all recyclers go in the same camp but it says right on it, no plastic bags yeah, you have to bring them to a special. Yeah. Yeah. Target so I, I takes them. Take Target bags. takes them. Lunds and Byerly's takes them. Oh, yep. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I have a question for you. I see more garbage in the streets now, no matter where we go. I see more garbage in the streets than ever. Yeah. So what happened to this, hey, let's live cleaner lives? It's worse than it's ever well, been. Well, I remember having this conversation with Nick. He said that they are taking garbage cans out of downtown Minneapolis. Yep. Because they right? cost money Nobody to run. Nobody wants to empty them. So, so what are people doing? They're just going to throw it on the ground. That's yep. what they're going to do. I see it. If you go, you'll see it daily if you go downtown. People just throw it. I had a window well on the ground level, and I had to have the people come almost every other day to empty that window well mm-hmm. because somebody would throw all their trash down yep. there. Unbelievable. So we've learned nothing. Basically, there's all this wisdom coming our way, but we've learned nothing. That Native it's American, worse than it's ever been. That Native American cried for nothing. <laughs> With a tear, that's right. The tear is on it. Yeah, I, I, remember I remember being that. devastated watching that. I know. <laughs> commercial. As a kid, as a kid, it's it scared it scared the, the it scared you into not littering. I know. Yeah. They it should was, bring that back. It wasn't actually. You know what, Catherine? They did. It, it played this year. Hmm. The original oh, really? one. Yes, the original one was aired this the, either this year or last year. Interesting. It's a great yeah. PSA. It's I saw PSA. I saw a guy taking a trash. Um, container about, you know, like, uh, I don't know, three feet high, two feet wide. I don't know where he was taking it from. And he was bringing it over to a city trash can and dumping his trash in the city trash can. I'm like, hey, makes sense. What are you going to do? What well, are you going to do? That's probably why they don't want to collect it anymore. If everybody's shoving their trash in there. Well, you know what's what? a trash can. A trash fact that I know that's actually quite sad. A trash mm. fact. Uh, 
Well, Disney World did a test on their guests to see how far they would walk before they would just throw their trash on the ground without mm-hmm. a garbage can handy. Ten feet. Three feet. Uh, the answer was 13 feet. I figured about oh. 10 feet. If there wasn't a ca- garbage we can 13 that. feet away, they just toss it on the ground. I would care. I see it what? all the time. I see trash four yeah, yeah. feet. Four feet from a trash. I know. Yeah. Oh, four absolutely. feet. Yep. It's just unbelievable it's, it's that really, rather throw it's, it on the ground. It's really sad. It is. Well, that's because we keep telling everybody they're entitled to do whatever they want to do. That your truth is the real truth. Oh, God, it's so disgusting. They should literally imprison all college professors. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I agree, man. <laughs> You're going don't, away. Don't, don't tell Doug that, though. No. Yeah, don't tell Doug his dad have to go to the jug. He doesn't like hearing that. We shall be back, ladies and gentlemen. Special guest coming up right after this. They'll join the family. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you. Do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff. 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Robbie, who started in sales and is now director of recruitment. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Oh, is this the ticket you're going with? Born to be wild. <laughs> oh my God, Cassie, you're such an embarrassment to you, man. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> that means you know that he likes you. You know that. I know. Uh, let me know. Where... <laughs> yeah, that's right. If I'm nice to you, it means I don't like you. Uh, um, is Tom ready to go? Yes. Excellent. Tom Clavin, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Doing extremely well. Uh, yes, yesterday, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching a cop show because I love watching cop shows. And uh, and the Rifleman. And the Rifleman <laughs> and Rawhide <laughs> and Wanted Dead or Alive. Oh, God, loved it. I, I loved that show. But I, that's what I watch on television. She goes, oh, my God. She opens up this package and goes, oh, my God, you're going to love this. She walks over and hands me Wild Bill, the true story of the American Frontier's first gunfighter by Tom Clavin. And she's, I just, I love these books. They're wonderful. It's for people like you I write them. <laughs> now, thank God. Oh, by the way, Tom, good job with the picture on the back, uh, back uh, uh, cover, the, the sleeve, because basically there's a picture of Tom Clavin. And he kind of looks like he fits back in the Wild Bill, uh, Wild Bill days. You got that kind of was it called like sepia tone? Isn't that pretty much what it's called? Sepia tone. Yep. Yeah, Very I'm cool. not as tall and nearly as handsome. Yeah, he's a pretty. He Wild Bill was a very handsome guy. Actually, he, he really was. Uh, American Frontier's first gunfighter. That I did not know. So he was the first gunfighter. He's killed. Well, I just I just started the book, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. But, yeah, I'll just hand it over to you, Tom, because I want to hear the whole story. I love these stories. Well, he was America's first gunfighter because the very first recorded gunfight. And now I have to put a little asterisk here. Previous to that, we'd have these duels, you know, like Alexander Hamilton right. and Aaron mm-hmm. Burr. Right. People would be back-to-back. They'd pace off. They'd turn. They'd fire. Sometimes not even fire at each other. It didn't matter that much. 
But on, on, in July of 1865 in Springfield, Missouri, this, this, uh, this fellow named Davis Tutt made the mistake of, of stealing Hitchcock, Hickok's watch, gold watch. Hickok politely asked for it back. The guy refused. They met in the town square. And this was the first time you had two guys facing each other and advancing towards each other. And then, you know, the quick draw. And who was going to shoot first and who was going to shoot the, the straightest? And Hickok was the one who, you know, emerged victorious. He killed Davis Tutt. And all the onlookers, you know, started telling everybody that the story spread like a prairie fire, that we had this, this gunman, this gunfighter named Wild Bill Hickok. And so he earned that reputation, and he had other gun battles, too. He didn't like to have these fights, but if pressed, he would do it. But I have to tell you, if, if, if Hickok had been only a gunfighter, I don't know that that would have interested me enough. I don't think there would have been enough there mm-hmm. for a book. But as you'll find out as you go ahead and keep reading, which I hope you will, uh, I will. you'll find out that he was a, uh, he grew up in an abolitionist family. His farm was a, a, a station on the Underground Railroad that helped, helped the slaves to escape. He was a spy behind Confederate lines for the Union Army during the Civil War. Right. He was an Army scout. He, he, he was a trailblazer for wagon trains. He had Buffalo Bill Cody as one of his best friends. Uh, he was he was a uh, you know a, a plainsman in every sense of the word. He was the marshal of uh, Hayes City, Kansas, and then Abilene, Kansas. He was a, a federal marshal that roamed the plains. He was a baseball umpire. He was a Broadway actor. You know he was he was uh, one of the one of the most notorious gamblers in the American West. I mean this was a lot that this man packed into a a, a, a pretty short number of years. He was only thirty nine when he died. So that's what made it a book for me. That he, this is a man that had all these other lives packed into one life. Did he? Did he get his watch back? <laughs> well, he did. You know, he he, he 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 took it from Davis Tut's cold dead hands. All right, I was wondering if the guy had it on him. So his cold dead hands. I like <laughs> no, he, that. he got the watch back plus plus interest. Yeah, it probably you know, made him Tom, famous. I have, to, I have to ask you a question, Tom. Um, the show sure. Deadwood. Right, show Deadwood features Wild yes. Bill. I I do need to ask: yes. Did they use the c word and the cs word anywhere near as much back then as they do in that TV show? Holy God, they like to. Drop well, that. I would say, having seen the show Deadwood and not having lived in those days, <laughs> uh, I'm going to make an educated guess and say they did not use it quite as much uh, in, in in those days. I, I'm going to just an educated guess. But uh, you know, and it's not you won't you won't find that word that word once in my book. <laughs> no, I have not found it so far. To tell you the truth, by coincidence, I, I should mention yesterday, and I don't know why this happened, but I was no, it's two days ago. I came home and I said, Catherine, three people thought they recognized me on the street. They thought I they thought I was Ian McShane. Yeah. That's really, uh-huh. uh, you know, I do, uh-huh. my voice, I know, kind of sounds like his, and our eyes kind of look the same, but... Except for yours are blue. Mine are blue, and I'm also about a foot taller than he is, <laughs> so I, don't, I suppose yeah. people who watch uh, movies and TV don't know that, but but he, uh, he, he was terrific in that role, but Wild Bill, I mean, he runs through so many stories of so many uh, uh, the Hollywood movies or plays or whatever it is, and... Uh, what do you think? He's been, drove yeah, he's him been portrayed a lot of. He's been he's yeah. been portrayed in, in quite a few movies. Uh, you know, for some old movie buffs, the the quintessential portrayal was Gary Cooper in a movie, The Plainsman, with Gene sure, Arthur as sure. Calamity Jane. But there was the Jeff Bridges movie called Wild Bill. Uh, there was, uh, you know, you, you you mentioned about the show Deadwood, where Keith Carradine portrayed him for the first, I think, six episodes. Probably yeah, the most unusual yep. casting is a movie called The White Buffalo from the 1970s, in which he was played by Charles Bronson. Oh yeah, that's right. It was not I a hit. Forgot about that. <laughs> it was not. Yeah, a, it was not. It was not a hit. No, no, it was a. It was a very. It was just like just put some long hair on somebody and call him Wild Bill. You know. By the way, I, I do like the fact that he changed his name from James to Bill because Wild James doesn't sound all that menacing. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 he did. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the book or anything, good reason. but how did Wild Bill die? Well, it was in Deadwood, in Deadwood, South Dakota. And in fact, uh, you know, people today, if they you know, are in Deadwood or in the area, you can still you can visit Wild Bill Hickok's grave. It's there. But uh, it was in August of 1876. He was playing poker with uh, three other men. Uncharacteristically, he did not have his back to the, to the, to the wall. He was, 
he was kind oh, of exposed because he was always very cautious. He knew as a gunman he had a bullseye on him, so he always wanted to have his back to the wall. But this was one, it was the afternoon, I guess he didn't feel like he was in any danger. And this fellow, a cowardly Jack McCall, came up behind him and, and shot him from, uh, from behind, which was the only way you were going to kill Wild Bill. He died as the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champ of gunfighters. He shot him right in the back of the head, huh? He did, and he was indeed holding five cards, aces and eights, and a queen that have since been known as Dead Man's Hand. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It, it's what a great story. As I said, I, I was lucky enough to receive the book yesterday, and, and Catherine, honest to God, she wrecks you. Oh, my God, you're going to love this. And she brings it over to like, me. It's a Western. It's a Western. <laughs> you're going to love this. Yeah. Uh, you know what's kind of weird about that, Tom, is I grew up in the inner city, so I don't know why I love Western so much. But I guess when I was a child, well, it was gun smoke, and it was all those, you know. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I was born in the Bronx. I, I lived there till I was eight years old. And, and I yeah. think that maybe being part of a city, you do have this romantic notion of what the Great Plains are like and the prairie and the frontier. And there's all that kinds of adventure and, and legendary figures out there that, that, that really fire up your imagination. You know, it's funny, whether it's true stories about Wild Bill or it's the movie Tombstone or it's Deadwood or whatever, I, were those guys back in that era really smart asses? Because in all the movies, they're real wise guys, which I think is very, they're all funny as hell, taking shots at everybody else. I, was it actually like that, do you think, or is that just kind of an addition? Well, Wild Bill had the reputation of being a fun guy to be with. Now, I don't mean fun well, guy that he would be ridiculing people. He, he, his, rumor, his, his humor was not directed to be mean towards other people and be sarcastic and ridicule them. But he was a, he was a raconteur. He liked to tell stories. He liked, to be, he liked the saloons. He liked the atmosphere of the saloons. He liked to be with other men in the saloons. And he'd not only be telling his stories, but having stories told to him. When he was out as a prayer, in the prairie, he was a scout for the U.S. Army or for wagon trains or whatever, or hunting trips. You know, you'd sit around the campfire at night and, and, and tell stories. And, and he, he, he had a good sense of humor. He liked to laugh. He, didn't, he wanted to get along with people. His motto was basically, I guess, what the golden rule is. I will treat you the way I want to be treated. Uh, but it was telling those stories around the campfire that, you know, inadvertently, not much to his surprise, led later in his life to becoming a Broadway actor. Did he inspire a lot of other young men because I suppose the word about him you know spread while he was still alive did he inspire other young men to want to be the next wild bill well in a good way and a bad way I mean at one oh, way okay. that he, he a bad way was that uh, he was he was the gunfighter he was the guy on top and so you had he always had to wonder about somebody you know if he'd be rounding a corner and somebody younger and faster was waiting for him to you know, the best way that you become king is you, you kill, kill the king and, and take his crown. Mm -hmm. So there were some, some guys who were inspired to confront him, much to their dismay, uh, because most of them did not survive if it got, if it got to the point of gunplay. Uh, but he did, you know, there, there, there are some, uh, some lawmen who are, were later quoted as saying that uh, they, they found that Wild Bill Hickok was an inspiration for them, that he was somebody who really tried to uphold the law. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, there's a guy named Bill Tillman who is quoted in the book. Now, he's not alive anymore, but he was a, he, he, when he was a kid, he, he met Wild Bill Hickok and was so impressed with him that he ended up having like a 50-year law career himself. Did, uh, what year did Wild Bill die? Uh, uh, he was 39. It was said, in I, August. I yeah, 39 in August of 1876. And, and just one of those funny coincidences, uh, he was good friends with uh, George Armstrong Custer. He scouted for the 7th Cavalry. And, in fact, mm -hmm. Custer modeled himself on Wild Bill. When we see photographs of Custer wearing the buckskin and with the long hair, that was the way Wild Bill dressed. And, and Custer looked up to Wild Bill and modeled himself on him. And you had these two figures who were probably the biggest post-Civil War celebrities in the American West, and they died within a few weeks of each other. First there was Custer at Little Bighorn, and a few weeks later there was Wild Bill Hickok. And what's so amazing is that later on in life, you know, I guess some 30 years later, uh, people like uh, Wyatt Earp uh, came along, and then toward the end of his life, he ended up, did, he was like a consultant on, on Westerns in Hollywood, wasn't he? I think Wyatt Earp was. He was. He, he, he was, yeah. When his later years, he lived with his, with his wife in Los Angeles, and he was a consultant to a young silent film direct, director of Westerns named John Ford. 
and and Ford, you know, this was a way for Wyatt Earp. You know, he he did not in his old age. He was not a rich man. There was no Social Security then, so uh, Ford helped him. You know, for the, in, in in Earp's later years. And you know, another reason why I'm glad you brought that up is that Earp and Bat Masterson and and Buffalo Bill and some of these other legendary figures, they lived into old age and they had a chance to mm-hmm. to talk about their lives and maybe set the record straight or answer questions. Unfortunately, Hickok never had that because he died at 39 and died so abruptly, yeah. you know, he didn't know it was coming. Uh, he never had that chance later in life to have people ask him questions and try and set the record straight. So perhaps more than any other famous American West figure, uh, to this day, there's so many fabrications, exaggerations, and outright fictions about Wild Bill Hickok. Sure, absolutely. I tell you what, Tom, if you and I ever sat down, we'd drive everybody else in the room nuts talking about this <laughs> stuff because it just fascinates me. I had heard that Wyatt Earp actually uh, was a tutor for a young uh, guy coming up in Hollywood, wanted to be a big cowboy star, and he helped John Wayne to develop his aura, I guess. Is that true? Well, Wayne, yeah, Wayne was very young. I, mean, I think he, he was, might have still even been a right. student at the University of Southern California when he started making yep. pictures as, a, as an extra supporting character. And there is that story about Wyatt Earp, you know, meeting Wyatt Earp. I think Wayne tells, has told it himself of meeting Wyatt Earp and, and Wyatt Earp you know, telling him some stories. And, of course, you know, a, a wide-eyed John Wayne asking him questions. Can you imagine what it was like to be a young actor and to confront the, the real legendary Wyatt Earp? So, uh, in fact, there, there's actually a fun movie, if you ever get a chance to see it, maybe you have, called Sunset, with James Garner and Bruce Willis. And it's with, it, James Garner plays an older Wyatt Earp in Hollywood, and Bruce Willis is young Tom Mix, uh, the cowboy actor. Oh, yeah, And they sure. team up together to, to solve a murder mystery. And it's, it's a fun, fun movie that, you know, you and I may be the only ones who ever saw it. <laughs> I know John Wayne, John Wayne did go to Wyatt Earp's funeral. Hmm. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he probably did because Earp, Earp died. I think he was buried. I'm going to say in uh, January 1929, something like that. It was right about the time that Wayne was making his uh, the Big Trail was kind of like his first picture that put him on the map. I was uh, I was surprised when I saw him on the that he went to that funeral because you don't think those people were in the same time era. <laughs> right, like exactly. you're like what? And uh, it's funny that yeah, Wyatt... well, there was a little overlap, you know. When Earp died, when Wyatt Earp died, he was only two months shy of his 81st birthday, which was a long life back then. And oh, Wayne yeah. was probably in his early to mid 20s, so there was some overlap there. Yep. It's a wonderful, wonderful genre. I hope you keep on writing. Of course, Dodge City, New York Times bestselling author of Dodge City. Yeah. Wild Bill, the true story of the American Frontier's first gunfighter, Tom Clavin, C-L-A-V-I-N. You need to come on more. We got to talk more about this. One of my favorite things in a movie, Tombstone, is when uh, uh, yeah. the gunfighters are, are, are battling it out and all the rest of it. And one of the guys says, uh, "Why'd you do that?" And he goes, "Cause he was my friend." And he goes, "Yeah, I got a lot of friends." And there's a pause. And he goes, "I don't." It's one of the greatest <laughs> cowboy comments of all time. Uh, yeah, Tom, yeah. thanks so much for your time. Please other, do come other than back. You're my Daisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks Daisy. very much. I look forward to it. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye-bye. Tom Plavin, ladies and gentlemen. Wild Bill, the true story of the American Frontiers. First gunfighter. Uh, so far, the book is great. Really, really good. And I just got it yesterday, so I love this stuff. Thanks for being with us today. We'll talk to you tomorrow in the family.